it was one of those days when I left work and I like I I, I thought I'm good at this. Like th- that was that was what I'm supposed to do. It's so easy to forget that for all the things that we see every day, it is impossible to assume that members see and hear the same things. They are busy with their own stuff. Do you know what we have to do? We have to ask the members what they think. Yeah. Damn it, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I told myself I wouldn't learn anything <laughs> while doing this. Damn it! What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and today's show is brought to you by that feeling when you're not sure what to do next. (laughs) On this episode, we're trying some new things. Adam and I have been putting our heads together over the last couple of weeks about what we can do to take the Coworking Weekly Show to the next level, and he's got some ideas. He's been doing some research about new ways to approach the show, bring more awesome stuff to you, and today we're going to be focusing on two areas. One is a new segment that we're calling tentatively anyway, catchphrase, Uh, and the other is directly related to today's catchphrase. So without further ado, I think we should get into today's catchphrase. What do you think, Adam? I think that's a great idea. All right. So today, the catchphrase that I want to pull up to our attention is this one. Ask the fucking members. And for those of you who don't feel like you need to swear, it could just be ask the members. Yeah. But uh, but when we're using the catchphrase, ask the fucking members, it's usually a, hey, buddy, you are stuck. You are in a rut. You are trying to figure something out on your own that you do not need to be figuring out on your own. There's a very easy solution to this. It's right under your nose. Mm-hmm. It's all around you. It's in the room. It's our fucking members. They know the answer. Yeah. So why don't you just ask them? And I think that's a part of it. Like, I know that we're not shy with blue language, but I think that is kind of illustrative of where we are in a thought process when we have to use that phrase, when we have to remind ourselves of what is the next best step. And... It's in a time of exhaustion, maybe. Like, I've tried to attack this thing from all different angles. I've tried to find a solution for this puzzle in every way except the one that's important. Yeah, I think it comes in a moment of this isn't working. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't working. And, and, you know, the reality is, is we work in an environment that is full of people and therefore things will go wrong. Things will be imperfect. And sometimes things just won't work. And I feel like the common thread through things that don't work most often is we've tried to create a solution or we've tried to present an idea uh, out of a vacuum Mm -hmm. and without dialogue for the people who actually have something to say about it or, or would even want it to begin with. And isn't that antithetical to the way that we do things at Indie Hall and the reason why we're at Indie Hall in the first place? You know, I think it is. At the same time, I want to I want to pull this apart a little bit because I think as an instruction, ask the members uh, is often either misinterpreted or misused. And we can look at this in a couple of different ways. Uh, I just sent an email out to the folks on my mailing list about the co-working survey, the global co-working survey, mm-hmm. which is a big data collection tool run by our friends over at DeskMag. And when I think, say ask the members, I think people coming from just from a perspective of not being sure what to ask, they'll go to a survey. Maybe I should put together a survey. And ask the members isn't to create a survey. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I think people think of when they hear the, the notion ask the members is, is like a democratic vote. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that I have option A, option B, 
which would you f- prefer, you know, hands up, vote, and whichever one gets the most votes wins. And I don't think we've ever really done anything quite like that here at Indie Hall. No, outside of using Slack emoji to vote on things, that's uh, sort of the only officially democratic way that we approach anything. So when we're in a moment of exasperation, or hopefully long before that, we're reminding one another to ask the members. Like, if you're not sure, the answer is right under you. There's a fine line between directly asking the question and something a little more subtle. And explaining not what the question is, but why you're even bothering to ask the question in the first place. Yes. And I think that that is something that is hard, but the effort is worth it. And I think the reason it's hard is because we are used to spending so much time in our heads trying to problem solve something, trying to cr- like imagine the ideal outcome. Mm-hmm. Like if everything goes perfectly, it'll look like this. It'll feel like this. Everyone will be doing this. Mm-hmm. There's a a sticking point if I share something too fully thought through, there's a chance that people won't like it. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes easier to share it not at all. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that would be for me to come to our community. I'm trying to think of a concrete example. I know we went through a lot of this with uh, leading up to moving into our new space where I knew that we needed to make a decision about the kitchen. The yeah. kitchen's a great example. Just generally, where is the kitchen going to be? Where is it going to be? What's going to be in it? How do we lay it out? And in prompting this conversation to ask the members, it wasn't what do you want in the kitchen or where should the kitchen be? I had to set the stage a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had to take a little moment to pause and say, what do I know that most other people aren't thinking about what assumptions am i making that other people wouldn't know to assume and how can i set the stage for a trajectory for here's what the direction we're trying to get out of this outcome and so in the case of the kitchen i knew that one of the observations that i had made was that we have some traffic jams in the kitchen just being able to ask people who use the kitchen on a regular basis you know if it's not what stuff do you want in the kitchen that could go off the rails so 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 quickly blue sky brainstorming has its place that was not it but instead it was what problems have you noticed in the kitchen Hmm. what problems have you noticed in the kitchen it's a pointed question and i think something like what problems have you noticed isn't is another scary question to ask because you sort of open yourself up to criticism and something that We've done better in the past, and I think we're going to have to get a whole lot better doing in in 2017, is asking, you know, what problems have you noticed with a certain aspect, a certain area? Mm -hmm. And showing people that we're confident enough to say, I know this ain't right. I know that this can be made better. Even if it's good, I know it can be made better. I'm not asking you for your brainstorm unless we're having an active brainstorm. I'm asking you for your thoughts, for your observation, for your input. And if it's an idea that you want to see happen, I'm inviting you to be a part of making it happen as Mm -hmm. well. You mentioned at the top of this that one of the things that you're doing when you ask the question or when you remind yourselves rather to ask the members is you are sharing why you are looking at the problem that you are looking at. You're sharing the maybe the purpose, the emotional context of the thing. The intent. The intent. Exactly. That feeds into why this reminder is so significant because it's twofold. One It's reminding me that I'm surrounded by resources, by people who use this place actively, this community actively, who have opinions and feelings. And I should be in check with that. I should at least, bare minimum, be aware of how those people feel. And two, 
it reminds me to tell myself why I'm bothering to look at this puzzle in the first place. And I remember when we were in our old home, I had a conversation with Sean, who puts together a lot of our artwork and curates the artwork in Indie Hall and invites other members to do the same. We had a conversation about the display window on the first floor that's facing Third Street. Everybody's going to see it. And Sean and I talked and tried to figure out what do we put in the window. And it was just two people with our two limited opinions trying to figure out how do we represent ourselves? What goes in that window? And we had this epiphany, and it must have come from Sean because he's a lot better at this than I am, in which he says, this isn't my decision. (laughs) This is the decision for everyone else. And it wasn't just making sure that we take stock of everyone else's opinion. And uh, like you said, blue sky uh, brainstorming, that could lead to making no decisions at all, no action, because God knows we could put tons of things in this window. But the reminder really was ultimately a reminder of context for me. And that window that's facing the street that peers into our space and it's us looking out was supposed to be a representation of who we are and what we care about. And if I didn't glean that from the people who were inside of this place, who called this place home, what's the point? As much as you and I and Sam like to view ourselves as members of Indie Hall before we view ourselves as staff members of Indie Hall, so to speak, it's just a fact that we will never have the same perspective of someone who comes in here off the street, gets involved at whatever level they get involved, and is a part of this for a period of time. Even if we're literally sitting next to that person, there's no way for us to be seeing the same things that they're seeing, hearing the same things that they're hearing because they have the perspective of someone who's coming in without the bird's eye view that we have, without the uh, the pattern recognition that we have. I think those are things that are very easy for us to take for granted and why asking the members is so important, not so that the members make a decision, but so that you reinforce that bird's eye view with something that is a little more ground level. That is a little, frankly, can be humbling sometimes. Yeah. It's so easy to forget that for all the things that we see every day because it is our job to see, for all the things that we hear every day because it is our job to hear, it is impossible to assume that members see and hear the same things, know and observe the same things because they are busy with their own stuff. Mm -hmm. That is what they come here to do, their own stuff. And once in a while they pick up their heads and they look around and they see something that is attractive to them, that is exciting to them, that is helpful and supportive to them, and they say, wow, it's like you read my mind. That's exactly what I wanted to pick up my head and look at. That is a sign that we've been asking the members. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, when we're in our staff lounge, in our chat room, or in one of our team meetings, something's not working and we're not sure why, I could say with 100% certainty that the fact that we're having that conversation in a vacuum with no members at the table is the reason we're having that conversation to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'm curious of, part of the reason why... I want to do this segment is because I'm curious of anyone else's catchphrase. I'm curious if other people have that moment in their own community, whether it's in a co-working space, in their office, at home, in church. Are there things that you say or you hear? And what happens when you pause and put that phrase under a microscope? What does it really mean? And why do we keep saying that thing? So something that I'm excited for is for us to share some of those catchphrases, and I have 
many more, just off the top of my head, without really writing down and plundering the depths of, of all of the things I've said at Indy Hall. But I'm, I'm curious, if we share some of those, what are some of the things we might hear from others, and what will that make us think of? Yeah, so this opens the door for you to reach out to us and share some stories of times that you've used a catchphrase like this, and if you haven't, maybe it's worth adding it to your repertoire. I know uh, a tactical implementation that we've done is literally writing, ask the members on a post-it note, sticking it to the side <laughs> of your monitor, and making it, forcing it to be visible. A visible reminder of something like that can be useful, and if somebody else sees it on your screen, I think it sends a subtle message of something that you care about, which can actually be pretty valuable, spark a conversation. But to your point, I would love it if people want to tweet at us, email us, at uh, Alex Hellman on Twitter, at uh, Adam Tetteris on Twitter as well. Shoot me an email, Alex at Indy Hall. If you've got a catchphrase and a little story behind it, it would be awesome to hear it, and maybe we even get you on the show for a future episode, a little interview about the story behind your catchphrase and how you use it. That'd be really fun. And I'm really excited about some of the catchphrases that I have like in my, my catchphrase wallet for us to do in the future, because some of these I've just been saying forever, and I never stopped to think, like, hey, what? Why? Where did that come from? Where did from? that come from? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wonder, when, when we visit other co-working spaces around the world, I do hear bits of jargon and language that I know that we have used. And so I'm very curious what their origin stories are. I don't like to assume that people use certain language just because they heard it from us, although I know in some cases that's true. Mm -hmm. In other cases, I think there's that sort of uh, uh, universal discovery where something just sort of happens to be in the zeitgeist, multiple people discover it or say it at the same time, um, and it sticks and it works. And so it becomes theirs as well. So uh, let's treat this as, as common language, not just the, the tactical tool of, of the catchphrase. Yeah, I think this could be really fun. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to it. Thanks for bringing this up. We had a town hall last week. But for me, that phrase that we talked about at the top of the show, that's what town hall is. It's like the most formal, crystallized version of town hall. Well, I should say our town halls over time have taken lots of forms. And the beautiful thing about town hall as a as a rough format, I would treat it more like a like a, a call to arms. It's we have something to talk about. Let's get together. Uh, and that's really all it started as. And sort of to take a big step back before we even talk about the the in the forms that it has taken. The very first indie hall town hall uh, that we used that name. So we were actually in our original Strawberry Street location for, I'd say, about a year. Um, we had filled up entirely. We had a waiting list. Mm. Uh, people were, the waiting list was growing faster than it was shrinking. Mm -hmm. And one of our members had actually come to me and said, hey, I know that there is a waiting list. I don't know if you're considering uh, you know, us expanding, moving to a new location that's bigger. I found a spot that might work for us. Do you want to check it out? And... I wanted a way to bring that potential future to our community mm -hmm. because at that stage of the game, everything that we had built, we had built together. The room that we were in, the room we assembled in, w would not have existed had a group of people not come together. We talk about uh, raising the barn in our audiobook, the first 10, I believe it was uh, chapter 10, Yeah, raising the barn. Finding the place, outfitting the place, attracting the people, building the events, like everything was done as a community effort. And this dialogue about a potential place was the first thing that had sort of happened behind closed doors in a way. And not that I was trying to hide anything, but I realized that if we were even going to consider it, a community dialogue was necessary. And so 
what we did was we brought a, sort of a snapshot. Jeff and I literally had made some slides, financials. Here's how many people signed up the day before we signed our first lease a mm. year and change ago. Here's how many people will remember one year later. And here's how many people are a member today. And here's how many people on our waiting list. Here's some of the things that we've accomplished. This is a snapshot of what we've accomplished so far. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling really good about it feeling really good about it and the only problem that i see right now right now is that there are more people that want to do this with us than we currently have a home for that we have room for yeah uh and dave martirana one of our members found a potential spot so uh i want to show it to you and i played a video and after watching the video together i posed the question should we hmm. should we mm -hmm. like what we've got here is clearly good and becoming bigger has some other potential side effects. I don't want to assume that growth, moving to a new location, is an inevitability. We don't have to do this. We could potentially find other next steps. This one is in front of us. What do y'all think? Be completely honest with me. You're doing a town hall for the first time, right? This is the first time you've gathered as a community, the first time you've tried this format for communicating with everyone. How much of what you were going in with was a foregone conclusion? Like, how ready were you to just make the decision that yes, you will, you will get better, or uh, was it really truly hinging on what everyone in the room thought? I would even go so far as to say I actively didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I really didn't. Just hold on, listener. That's like having your your mother or father or parental figure be like, I got to be honest with you. Didn't think this was going to happen, son. <laughs> Didn't expect you. Wasn't planning for it. So, <laughs> so let me let me let me qualify a little bit. I knew this was going to be a lot of work. A line from the great cinematic movie, The Girl Next Door. Great. <laughs> Got to make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. And I remember some of the conversations Jeff and I had about it. Where like this was taking on a bigger risk. Is it worth it? What advantages does this give us? What disadvantages does this create? And I think that that first town hall being at a turning point in our community set a standard where it, the, the sort of framework you described earlier, where we've been, where we are, where we're going, is some version of that has always been at play. But the thing I've always had in the back of my mind, and depending on the topic at hand I've brought to the forefront, is this wherever we're going – is that where we're supposed to be going? Ah. What are the trade-offs here? And let's analyze that as a community. And I can think about another town hall, and I believe this might have been this might have been the town hall that was related to your the day you started Indie Hall might have been this town hall. Yeah. Uh, was when we expanded from our second story location at the Daniel Building, the location that we did decide to move into after our original town hall. Um, we had the option to expand to take over the downstairs. Mm-hmm. And I had had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that were excited about it. I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that were pretty anxious about it. I remember. To be able to open the floor to say both of those things. Cool opportunity, gang. But wait, there's some things we've got to think through. Just the ability to have that conversation with our community. And when you say everyone, 
we, everyone is invited, but not everyone attends. That's an important point. And I think that's worth remembering is that, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect time to get 100% attendance. The goal is not 100% attendance. For me, the goal is not really 100% interaction with everybody. If I set that goal, it would I'd be setting myself up for failure to begin with. Some representative sample of people who, who care to be able to have a dialogue with and something that we say as a part of every town hall is this is the beginning of a conversation. In its best form, town halls should not be here's a bunch of stuff that we should have talked about before today, but we didn't. So let's wrap all that up. I think our worst town halls take that form, if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm. Our worst town halls are catching up. Our best town halls are reflective instead of catching up. And they analyze something going forward, mm-hmm. right? So I think that the difference here is, is town hall reactive to a problem versus is town hall framed by an opportunity, mm-hmm. a thing that we can do, a thing that we've observed, a thing that, we, you know, a direction, an, a, a goal, whatever it might be. And I wish I could tell you how many town halls we've even done over the years, but I would say more than half of them have been on the reactive side of things, and I'd say they're the less impactful ones. Does that make them bad? No, not at all. In fact, they tend to result in new members of of a town hall conversation stepping up and saying, I'm really, that had been in my mind for a while. I'm really glad to hear you bring that up. What can I do to help drive that solution forward. So even our worst town halls are still more, still more valuable than the absence of conversation. And I think that's that's really the key here is creating a framework for a conversation that if it isn't already happening and we we want to invite other people to the stage to join that conversation, then maybe there's a conversation that should have been happening all along and we want to create a, a stage for that. So something that I've been thinking about, uh, especially since we had town hall last week, is actually the venue of where we gather. It's one of those things that I don't think I've paused to consider how important that is. But this is the thought that's been on my mind, and I want to run it past you and see what you think. I remember my first day was town hall, like you mentioned, and we gathered in the first floor at 22 North 3rd Street, where we were maybe going to be moving into, right? I also remember years down the line having a town hall in the Painted Bride. Mm -hmm. We had a town hall in the Painted Bride because we had a, a unique circumstance, which was we didn't have the space where we could disrupt and we needed to move elsewhere. But moving into a different location, a venue outside of Indy Hall, became representative of the conversation we were about to have. And then a third opportunity when we had, uh, we had a town hall here in this space where we are now before anything moved over, really. And we had our first giant gathering in this empty space where we were soon to come. And those are all different venues for similar conversations about different circumstances. But I'm curious, how important is the venue to the conversation? Because in each of those those places where we gathered were really representative of something that was happening, where we were going, or like you said, the first town hall you ever had, you were having it in a space that you were about to leave. So I think you want me to get romantic about it, and I'm going to throw a curveball. Try me. I think it is easy 
to make meaning out of the location. Okay. I think that there is opportunity in every location. We can tie where we're hosting Town Hall to the conversation because the place that we're having it in is our next potential. Or your example of the Painted Bride, we were really having a conversation about doing stuff outside of our own home because we were kind of bursting at the seams. Yeah, We can apply that meaning to justify just about anything. Sure. But at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters that much. Is what you're saying. Just gather wherever the hell you are. Yes. And I would say maybe there's two potential schools of thought here, and I could argue for or against either of them. I would say gather where people are comfortable, mm. where people already know how to get, because if you're having this kind of conversation where you you want people to open up a little bit, I think feeling comfortable is pretty important. Depending on what's on people's minds, that might not be in your own co-working space. Fair. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think the best situation would be for us to... to move it around a little bit to try different things. We did a series of, I, I called them sort of mini town halls when we were right at the very beginning of analyzing our need to move. And we did them as a sort of pair of happy hours. We did them at National Mechanics. Again, I could sit here and romantically assign meaning to why we did it there. But the reality is, is I wanted something that I was pretty sure it, I wouldn't want people to be stressed about it. I wanted people to feel like they could sort of let their hair down a little bit. And well, let me let me draw on that for a second. Yeah. You are specifically intending to deliver information that that could be stressful that frankly it was stressful to you understandably so frankly i just wanted a beer <laughs> yeah so you wanted a beer but you know you were you were looking to deliver this information which was important and stressful to everyone in the community without having anyone to feel that terrifying burden with without i guess making it so people couldn't speak freely speak comfortably like you've mentioned before and i think that thoughtfulness is is really significant but what's interesting to me is town hall is one of the more i'm using air quotes here formal gatherings that we have at indy hall and yet we try to make it as informal and casual and comfortable as possible so how do we strike the balance of look we never do this thing we never get together and do this thing but we're going to do it now, but we really want you to just be yourself. How do you strike that balance? So I've been thinking about that in light of our most recent town hall, our last few town halls, really just trying to get back to basics after a year and a half of being so focused on this stupid, stupid move. Mm -hmm. And if I sound frustrated about the move, it's because I know it's distracted us from a lot of what we're best at. I think we executed on our core values very well, but it's we're still in this sort of reactive rut. And I would say, if anything, this is at the risk of getting meta, I think we should be having a conversation with our members about what they would like to see happen at Town Hall. Yeah, I think we design our... We do not take our own advice in terms of designing Town Hall in a vacuum. Yeah, um, you know, It's me, you, Sam... Uh, maybe one or two other people who've got something in particular that they want to share. And we outline Town Hall and deliver it. And it feels like delivering a finished product and, with a little bit of an invitation for conversation. It just doesn't seem congruent. You know, I, I almost wonder, uh, now, to be, to be fair, we've also built in some intentional uh, should we call them efficiencies mm -hmm. where you, we've mentioned a couple of times we're doing two town halls now. Why are we doing that? Well, we learned that we've got a growing number of people in our community who after hours events are a, a burden for them. They've got to get home to family or other commitments. And so being able to do something over a lunchtime is actually preferred. And maybe for some people morning would be even more preferred than that. Yeah. 
the point being at our scale, if the goal is to open dialogue, limiting it to one time limits that dialogue to only happening at that time, even though, even though we say over and over and over, this is the beginning of a conversation. I don't know about you, Adam, but I've gotten more positive response and thank yous from people saying, thanks for doing two different times. I wanted to make the lunchtime one. Something came up, so I ended up having to make the evening one. Just that that little bit of flexibility is great, even if those two groups are not in the same room at the same time. Mm -hmm. Better to have that open dialogue than not. I also have to wonder, like, what if our town halls were less of a presentation and more like a bar camp or a Mm. hackathon? You know, it's funny you bring that up because my favorite town hall ever, ever, ever was the one that we had at Painted Bride. And I think that was the one where I spoke the least. And... I remember Sam and I asked for ambassadors, members to come up and talk on behalf of the thing that you want to talk about. And when it was all done, I, I'm telling you this maybe for the first time, but it was one of those days when I left work and I, like, I, I, I thought, I'm good at this. Like th- that, was, that was what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And anytime we ever do a, a town hall that hasn't resulted in that crispy feeling, I've always thought, I I have to do that differently. Yeah, and it's not that this last week's town hall was bad. No, no. It was, and and in a lot of ways, it was super, super valuable. And again, the follow-up conversations I've had have been fantastic. But I, I think you're right. We are tuned to feel when something is a little bit more incongruent mm-hmm. and something that might feel perfectly great as a baseline for somebody else. We can look at it and say, something ain't right here. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've been feeling a little bit since our last couple of town halls. And, m- and maybe part of that is also the the fact that I'm hyper aware of our unusually high degree of reactiveness. Mm-hmm. Looking into 2017 and going, how can we create a town hall? Maybe we don't call it town hall. Maybe we keep town hall as something where it is more of us like quick recap. You know, basically, it's our version of last week tonight. Declaration. Right. And we can have fun with it. We can still invite people into it. But I think I think we might need to augment it. Um, I know Sam is excited about ramping up Culture Club. That's something that I think once that's underway, once we have some more success under our belt with that, that's we can talk about how we used to do it, what sucked about the way we did it and, and why we're reapproaching it. But I would, you know, I know we've talked about for a while making Town Hall something a little more like a a quarterly for real or maybe even something like a monthly event and every time i think about that i say man a, pr- a monthly presentation no one's going to want to come to that yeah but a monthly hackathon right where we maybe community source some themes ask the members and say like what are things that have been on your mind and then we pick a theme and then we invite people to go deep on that theme mm rather than just try and cover all the bases, that feels more like the way we've approached our best conversations, our mm-hmm. best town hall type things. They're all centered, they've got, they've got to be centered around a problem, right? Whether it's there's this potential space, do we really want to move into that? Or there's, uh, you know, we're re- feeling constricted and we're realizing that we're kind of insular in our own community. We're not doing the kind of outreach that we used to. How do we approach that problem? Conversations that are just updates are better than conver- than not having that conversation at all but we hold ourselves to i think a higher set of expectations and i feel like that's what's missing right now you know what we have to do we have to ask the members what they think yeah damn it i knew that was coming. 
<laughs> I told myself I wouldn't learn anything <laughs> while doing this. Damn it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a first for the Coworking Weekly show. I think we gave ourselves some of our own advice. Yeah. And now you get to see us execute on it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting plot twist, Adam. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. I'm just going to say I planned that. Like, I'm just going to say, if you could look at a script for how this was going to go. There was no script. There was no words on that page. <laughs> no, <laughs> but that is, uh, that's where we are. And uh, look, when it comes down to it, before we even got on the mic and we were doing a Facebook stream with some people who are interested in the future of Coworking Weekly, something that I think is, is unique now is having an opportunity to teach the things that we we're, we're pretty sure we're good at, and also a little transparency to the way that we learn. And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me that too. That feels different. Mm-hmm. It feels, feels good. Yeah, it does. feels good. And full circle, like you said, that was only a sort of planned. We knew they were related, but wow. Whoops. <laughs> Be- best wo- This whoops is to your advantage, dear listener. So with that in mind, we've got some work to do. Yeah. I'm excited coming out of this to bring that to our community uh to even share this episode i think it's fun that we get to like share this revelation so wow that's that's new that's fun we'll see where that takes us uh what else is coming up soon uh if this is your first time joining the show now would be a good time to make sure that you are subscribed to the coworking weekly show because coming up real soon there's a special episode going to be coming out that you'll only get if you are subscribed to the show and that will give you instructions on how to sign up for a limited seating live q a event that i'm doing online so you don't have to fly anywhere get hotel or airplane tickets or anything like that as i hope you can tell from this kind of episode we're looking to do more stuff that helps us interact with you and we thought what more fun way could we think of than getting together online giving you an opportunity to ask questions get answers have a chat share some of your ideas this is not going to be just us talking at you we're hoping to get some of you sharing there as well Um, but that is going to be limited seating in order to keep it interactive Uh, and so the best place to find out about that first make sure you get one of those limited seats is to be subscribed to this show so itunes overcast stitcher wherever it is that you listen to podcasts search out co-working weekly hit subscribe and keep your eyes peeled for a notification about that very special episode well l- let me say this co-working weekly has been going for what is this 47 episodes something like that something like that and before that it was a newsletter and and even before that it was more informal just sharing information that we have with anyone who is nearby and receiving information with anyone nearby I am more excited than I have ever been to be a part of this thing, this initiative of sharing the things that we teach and sharing the way that we learn. And uh, I have so many ideas and show segments and people that we want to talk to. It's so much stuff up my sleeve that it's 2017 is going to redeem 2016. I'm just saying it now. Right here on the show. On the show. You heard it here first. We're going we're gonna to bring it back. All right. That's a lot of confidence. I dig it. Yeah, but it's it's going to be really, really good. Cool. Well, I hope that gives our friends even more reasons to join in to the show with episodes to come. We've got a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of good stuff coming. Yes, we do. All right, Adam. I think we should get back to work. How's that sound? That sounds good. Back to work. Back to work.